Well, good morning. Glad you guys are joining us today. Uh, I'm glad you guys are here. Glad you guys are joining us online. Uh, we just showed you a Matthew sermon bumper uh, about 30 minutes before service. Aaron asked me, he's like, hey, so Matthew sermon, right? Like, like we're good with the Matthew sermon. And I said, actually, we're not. And he's like, oh, that's great. Last minute changes is what every tech person loves to hear. Uh, so we showed you anyways, but here's the deal. A, a lot's, <laughs> I don't know if you've heard, a lot's happened in this last week. And a lot's happened in this last year. And I came back from uh, Christmas vacation. I had a plan that we were going to get right back into the book of Matthew. And I had this sermon I've been working on. Um, and that's why we had the sermon bumper going. We are going to get back in the book of Matthew and just kind of continue to plot on. And as the week went on, I just, uh, as your pastor, I, I really felt like um, it wasn't the right words for the time. And that uh, God was leading me to something different. And so on Friday, I scrapped my sermon that I'd spent a lot of hours preparing on and printed off three versions of one passage, and we're going to wing it and see how it goes. So here we go. <laughs> Can we pray before we do this? Um, uh, that first song uh, that we sing about we wait on the Lord, uh, I think this is a time and a place where we just need to be and we need to wait on him. So will, will you guys join me in praying before we, before we dive in? Lord, uh, I thank you for the fact that you are here Wherever here looks like for us, wherever we are right now, that you are here, that you are in, 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 in our presence wherever we are. Lord, we thank you that you are here in this day, that whatever today unfolds to have for us, whatever today has already unfolded and had for us, that you've been in at every moment, that you are right now in tomorrow that you are in a year from now and a decade from now and that you were in a week ago and a decade ago and a hundred years ago, Lord, that you are the Alpha and the Omega, that you are the Ancient of Days, that you are present in all things. And Lord, we come to you because you are our only hope. In a broken and messed up world, you are our only hope. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I... Uh, I made what I thought was uh, kind of a funny joke a couple months ago, and it might not be. It feels a little bit more poignant now. A couple months ago, I was talking with someone, and um, they, they said something about like, oh, just waiting for 2020 to be over, you know? 2021, it's a whole new year, has new opportunities. 2020 will be done. And, and I said this just off the top of my head. Shouldn't have said it out loud. You know, and I said, what if in 15 or 20 years, we're not talking about 2020, but what if in 15 or 20 years, we're talking about the 20s? So far, 2021 hasn't disappointed, has it? So 
I, I wonder if, I wonder if in this last year, God's been trying to teach us a lot of things, and maybe in the years to come, he's going to be teaching us a lot of things. And so I, I was thinking about people in the Bible who are really familiar with brokenness and chaos and anger and division and, and uh, just a, a chaotic and broken world. And, and the first person who came to my mind was a guy you've probably heard of, a guy named Paul. I mean, Paul wrote most of the New Testament. And at one point, Paul recounts his life and he tells us about all these things he's been through in his life. And, and he says stuff like he was shipwrecked and he was stoned and he was whipped and he was jailed and he was beaten and he ran for mobs and all these kind of crazy stuff. I mean, the guy had, Paul's life, if you look at Paul's life, it, in, in terms of like our measurement of prosperity, goodness, like the good life, like his life was up and to the right up and to the right until, get this, ready? His life was up and to the right until he met Jesus. In terms of prosperity and comfort and the good life. He was ascending in all of his um, society, in, in his religious order. He was, uh, he was becoming a bigger and bigger name with more and more influence. And then he met Jesus. And by most of our standards, his life went, I mean, from that point on, he had to run for his life all the time. He had to hide. He was uh, abused and beaten and jailed. And eventually, he was killed. And so I, I wondered, what would a guy who is so familiar with just a massive amount of brokenness in this world and a massive amount of pain and discomfort and heartache, what would he say to us who maybe, maybe as Americans for the last couple decades, maybe the last hundred years have largely been shielded from a lot of the brokenness and the physical discomfort of this world, what would he have to say to us? Paul, at one point, he, he wrote to a church named Ephesus, and, and it was probably the church that he loved the most. I mean, you shouldn't have favorites, especially if you're a pastor of churches. You should have your favorite people in the church, just like you shouldn't have your favorite kid. We all do, shh, but you shouldn't, Right? And, and he writes this letter to the church at Ephesus. And, and while he writes the letter, he's in jail. Or maybe he's on house arrest at this point in time. But, but he's, he's in prison in some way. And, and whether it's when he's writing this letter or previous to the, writing this letter, um, to say that Paul was in jail is probably a generous term by our standards. Uh, the, 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 the imprisonment that Paul, Paul probably would have experienced would have been um, basically there was a room and there was a hole in the floor that was just big enough for a man's shoulders. And they would drop them in a hole under the floor. Most of the time they were only about three and a half or four feet tall underneath this building. And just think about the disgustingness of what was in there. 
I mean, there was rats and sewers and, and people hadn't showered for days. And it's one of the reasons why at one point it, it says that we should take food to people who are in jail, that we should care for those who are in jail because they would just get dropped in the hole. And if nobody came to care for them, if nobody brought them food, they just starved to death in this hole. And it, it, whether it's when he's writing this letter or at a different time, Paul finds himself in this hole that they called prison. And he writes to this church at Ephesus, the church that he loves. And, and so today, I want to I look at the last words he says to the church that he loves the most. The final words he says to them. Because, because last words matter, right? Like if you have the moment to say last words, a lot of times we make a big deal and we look at the last words of Jesus when he's on the cross. And we as a church think that the last words that Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, are, are, are the Great Commission, are some of the most important words that he's said. It's the last, it's the period to the ministry. Paul writes to this church at Ephesus, and he gives them some last words. So if you have a Bible, you can follow along with me. We're going to be in Ephesians 6. Um, I... This is, this is for free for you. Uh, I get plenty of comments about, man, Sean, I just like, I don't know how to study the Bible like you do, and I don't have all the resources and all that kind of stuff. Here's a really great resource if you want to study the Bible, is um, just go to BibleGateway.com, okay? BibleGateway.com. You could probably Google it, BibleGateway, or you could write .com after it, and then you'd find the website. And it has ample versions. And then what I love doing is just doing parallels where this is just, all my notes are is three um, of the passage, the passage in three different versions. And just reading it in different versions, how people interpret it, will give you whole new lights into things that God has to say to you. So there you go. That's for free for you. That's not what my sermon's about, but that's for free for you. Okay, so here we go. Ephesians, Ephesians 6 verse 10 says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Finally, the last thing that Paul wants the church at Ephesus to know is to be strong in the Lord. Now, when, when Paul left the church at Ephesus, he was traveling through, he was on his way to Jerusalem, and he stopped to visit the, some of the leaders of the church at Ephesus, and he gave them this warning. He said this, he said, he said, be on guard, because there are wolves amongst you that want to tear you apart, want to destroy you. You see, the church at Ephesus was a church that lived in a broken, dysfunctional world full of broken and dysfunctional people, just like our church. And he knew that broken and dysfunctional people do broken and dysfunctional things, and that their church had a hard road ahead of them. So he warns them, be on guard. There's an enemy, there's, 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 there's wolves amongst you that literally want to tear you limb from limb. So I wonder today if Paul, if he had a chance, would say the same thing to us. Be on guard. Be on guard because there are those, there, there are wolves amongst you that want to destroy, want to tear apart, want to, to consume the thing that God's doing in his church. So the first thing he says to him, right, is he says this, finally, 
Be strong in the Lord and in his might and, and in strength of his might. I, I love the way the Living Bible translates it. Like I said, it's a little different. It just gives you a little different perspective. He says this in the Living Bible. Last of all, I want to remind you, that's good. We need reminders. I have a million alarms on my phone as reminders. Last of all, I want to remind you that your strength must come from the Lord's mighty power within you. Now, that might not sound massively profound to you, but, but I look back on 2020 and And I wonder if one of the things that God's been trying to teach us, and maybe he will try to continue to teach us in months and years and decades to come, is what it means to depend upon his strength. You see, here's the deal. For most of us, for most of us, um, we... We have been able to, maybe for years or decades, relatively exist on our own strength. We've been able to work hard enough in school or in our job to be able to make enough money to be able to feed ourselves. And I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder how many of us never really understood the words that we prayed when we said, give us this day our daily bread. Because I wonder how, much, how many of us have actually never had to substantially trust in the Lord. There's a pastor named Craig Rochelle, and he wrote a book called uh, The Christian Atheist. And I'll just spare you from reading it. Um, and this is the premise of the book, is that if, if, if you were an atheist, how much would your life meaningfully change? And, and I wonder... How many of us have learned in this last year, maybe just a little bit more, what it means to trust in the Lord? Because you see, we used to think, we, we used to think, we used to think that we could plan our schedule. We used to think that we could plan what was going to happen tomorrow, right? I mean, there's this verse in the Bible that says, you know, that you shouldn't say, I'm going to go here or I'm going to go there. You should say, if the Lord wills it, then we will go from this city to that city. There's a verse that says that, but I mean, none of us, I mean, that's a lot of words to say. Why don't I just say, tomorrow I've got a meeting. I wonder if, I wonder if one of the things that was most difficult, you know, all the way back in March when things started getting canceled, as things have started to get, uh, continue to get canceled on and on and on, is the constant reminder that we're not in control. That we're not in control. And it just creates this panic in us. Because we think, we think that we can make it through this life on our own strength. And Paul's first words, the church that he loves most dearly is this, is remember, you will only survive this world by trusting in the strength of God in you. I wonder, I wonder how many of us have learned so much more this year what it means to trust in the Lord and maybe if God has a lot more to teach us. He says this, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so you'll be able to withstand, so you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Put on the full armor 
of God. One translation puts it this way. Um, It said, uh, put on the armor that God has built for you. Isn't that cool? Like, think about that for a second. Think about that. Here's what Paul's saying. Is that God knew exactly what you would need. God knew that you would be here today. God knew that you would be here in 2021. God knew that everything that's happened in the last year, in the last week, in the last month, everything that's going to happen would happen. He knew all those things would happen. And he knew exactly the one who formed and fashioned you together. The one who, uh, uh, Paul says, that, that God has chosen where and when men and women might dwell. The God who chose, think about this, think about this. God, <laughs> you, might, you might want to have a conversation with God when you get to heaven, depending on how the years to come go. But God knew that you would be here and he chose to put you in this time, in this place on purpose. I, I heard, uh, I saw a thing just recently and, and, it, and it talked about um, parenting. It was talking about your kids and, and, uh, and worrying about your kids. And, uh, and, and it said this, and I thought it was really great and really profound and really life-giving for me and maybe it is for you too. It said, just remember this, that God has chosen you for this place and this time and he's chosen your kids for the place and time they're in. That he's chosen, he fashioned them together just for this moment. God fashioned you together just for this moment. And he knew exactly what you need. And he built armor for you. So that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Uh, Like if you've done Rooted, that's week five of Rooted. There's an enemy. That's what we talk about. There's an enemy. One of the greatest lies that Satan can convince us of is that there isn't. But but Scripture tells us over and over and over again, and, and I think we need to be constantly reminded, there is an enemy. Jesus says it this way. He says that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy, that he prowls around like a lion waiting to consume you. Think of, have you watched National Geographic, Right? You see the moment when the lion's going to attack the, you know, the gazelle? And you're sitting there with your kids in the living room as the lion chases down the gazelle. And you go, oh, I hope they cut away before he rips off his hind legs. Right? This is the image that we get of the enemy that's against us. That he wants to rip you limb from limb, destroy you, crush you, ruin you. There's an enemy. In this world, there is an enemy there's an enemy. But he says this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of the darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. I love the way the Living Bible translates. It says this, for we are not fighting against people. Full stop. I, I think some of us need to hear that today. I think, I think a lot of us need to hear that a lot. Here's the deal. Your battle is not against them. <laughs> it's, 
here's the thing, here's the thing. You know exactly who them is, right? You know exactly who them is, who they are. But Paul's saying, don't, don't miss it. Don't get distracted. The enemy in this world is not them. It's not them. There's an enemy. They're not made of flesh and blood. He's not like us. And it's not them. Now, now here's, here's, here's the truth, right? Like, you know who them are? They're just like you. They're busted and broken and sinful. And if you don't think you're busted and broken and sinful, just ask your in-laws. They're busted and broken and sinful. And yes, yes, the enemy can work through people just the same way that he can work through you. But they are not the enemy. Every time Satan distracts our eyes to believe that those people are our enemies, he's one. He's divided. He's torn apart the body of Christ. He's ripping. He's allowing wolves to tear apart the flesh of the body of Christ. They are not the enemy. There is an enemy, but it's not him. It's not them. The phrase here, it says, for our struggles not against flesh and blood. A lot of times when we read that, we just think of like, that the point he's making is our, our battle's not against flesh and blood. Our battle's not against, some of us have more flesh than others of us. Not against this, right? But, but that's not what he's saying. In, in, in their culture, it's, it, it's um, euphemism, phrases, whatever, reference. We still use it. We say it this way. We say, um, you know, oh, that person's my cousin by blood, right? By family. They're, we're related. We're connected. And what Paul's saying is that our battle is not against other families or other groups. It's not the Hatfields and the McCoys, right? Our battle's not against those people. And, and then he says flesh and blood. Now, flesh, we, we, we divide people the same, Right? by pigment throughout human history. Now, now, their culture, they did it a little differently. It was more tribal. People would look physically very similar to one another, but they would be a part of different tribe, and so they would call them a different flesh, right? But Paul's saying, our, our battle's not against them. Our battle's not against those people. They're broken, sinful image bearers of God. Our battles against someone different. But he is ferocious and aggressive like a roaring lion seeking to destroy. It says this in verse 13. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist on the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm. Eugene Peterson, uh, he's a uh, theologian and a pastor. He's passed away now, but he wrote a a translation of the Bible called The Message. And uh, it's just kind of a lot more informal language, just kind of the way people would talk today. And he says this, this is how he translates it. Be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. 
You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. I wonder for how many of us, the heartache and the difficulty of past seasons has been because we've tried to navigate through them on our own strength. But Paul's warning to the church at Ephesus, and I think God's warning to us today, is that you will not endure the seasons to come on your own strength. You won't endure the seasons to come on your own optimism or your own hope or your own happiness or your own comforts. It's too much. It's too much. But instead, God gives us tools on how to navigate this broken world. So it says this, you ready? Stand firm, therefore, having belted your waist with truth. Some of the older translations say, having girded yourself. That sounds a little bit more uh, tough. Girded yourself. Belt just makes me think of when I go, <gasps> right? Gird is like, oh, I'm gonna gird myself. I've never girded myself, but if I was, it would feel very tough. Right? Having gird yourself with truth. Here's, here's the deal. Uh, I've said this before and I'll say it again. Sometimes, a lot of times, you have to be the best preacher you know. You have to be the one. Because you see, the way scripture describes Satan is as a liar, the father of lies. And that one of the great weapons you can use against Satan is the truth, is to speak the truth to him. For now, there is no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. For now, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That he who gave his own son for me, what more will he not give for me? And to know the truth, to have it seated so deeply in your soul that when the lies of Satan begin to whisper to you, that you've girded yourself with the truth of the gospel of the good news of Jesus and you can speak just as Jesus did in the face of the enemy to speak the truth. He goes on, he says this, <clears throat> and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. He, here's an interesting thing to notice about the breastplate of righteousness. It doesn't say having fashioned for yourself a breastplate of your righteousness. It doesn't say that. What it means to follow Jesus is not to establish your own righteousness, to do the right things, to not, it doesn't mean to make yourself a more moral person. That the enemy, that the weapon against the enemy is to hold fast to our chest, to cover our hearts with the one who is righteousness. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. The great guard of your heart is the blood of Jesus. The great guard of your heart and your hope is his blood that covers everything. That when, when God looks at you, he sees the perfect righteousness of your son. That the weapon against the enemy is the righteousness of his son. That we all stand on level ground at the foot of the cross in desperate need of his grace and his mercy. It says this, it goes on and it says, um, uh, 
Oh, I, I, I made a little note for myself here. I, I love this. Um, there's this really beautiful moment. Just think about this. When Jesus is getting baptized, um, he, 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 uh, um, he raises out of the water, and then the Father says something. He, he says this. He says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Now, if because of the cross, because of Jesus, because of his resurrection and grace and mercy in him, we are seen through Jesus' righteousness, that God treats us and sees us the same way that he treats his perfect and beloved son. Here, here's, what, here's what I believe God would want to say to you every single morning if you heard his audible voice. As you rose out of bed, groggy and angry at another day of life, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. This is my daughter in whom I rejoice over. Because of Jesus, we have a father who despite the circumstances you may experience, rejoices and celebrates over you. He goes on, he says this in verse 15, and having strapped your feet, uh, having strapped on your feet, the preparation of the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. Here's the deal. If the message you proclaim is not one of peace with God, it is not the message of this book. Jesus, God is a God of restoration and reconciliation. The conflict and the brokenness that we experience in the world is not because of God, it is because of our rebellion. And that some of, <laughs> some of the most painful things you will experience in your life will be God's goodness trying to draw you back to him. There's this quote I have on my wall that I, 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 I want to always remember in my office, and it says um, that still he seeks the fellowship of his people, that even through pain and suffering, he might remove their hands from the things of this world and attach them to himself. That God wants to bring peace and reconciliation to this whole world, and one day he will, and one day he will. But if the message you bring to this world is not one of peace, it is not the message of this book. There, Paul, I mentioned, you know, his whole life was up and to the right as he was ascending in Judaism. And, and um, he was a religious leader in Judaism. And, and uh, <clears throat> the, the word that he would have thought of when he thought of this word, peace, was the Hebrew word, uh, <clears throat> we say shalom, right? Which we loosely translate to mean peace. But, but in, in the context, peace is, is far more than the absence of war. Uh, peace is, is far more beautiful than the absence of conflict. There was, there was peace in the Garden of Eden before the fall, and yet there was labor, and there was work, and there was, there was childbearing, which I, from what I hear is not pleasant, right? There were all these things in the world but there was peace. Because you see, uh, Jewish historians have explained it this way, that shalom is much more like um, 
Well, it's like if you go to hear an orchestra warm up, right? You ever gone to like a junior high, high school band warm up? Maybe you've gone to like a really big thing, but I never have. But junior high or high school band warm up, and before the concert, you hear this, right? This is what it sounds like. As everyone's apparently warming up their instruments, if you're a brass instrument player, apparently you have to warm them. I didn't play any. I have no rhythm, so nobody would let me touch an instrument. And so, but it's just chaos. Have you ever heard them warm up? It's just chaos. But shalom is the first downbeat the conductor gives when everything comes in tune and in time together. And it's not the absence of noise. It's not the absence of all the stuff, but it's the perfect harmony of all things. See, that's what God's trying to do in this world. It's to bring harmony, to bring... He he says this in 2 Corinthians, that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation, of reconciling all the brokenness of this world. Our message is a message of peace. Verse 16, it says this, In addition to all, take up the shield of faith, in which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. I, lo- I love this one, because um, the, the, the arrows in, in Paul's day, archers, were like snipers in our day. And so Paul's just wanting to remind us again, there's an enemy out there, and he's prowling around, and he's just waiting for the moment from, the, from, the, from the, the rooftop that he can just snipe you out. That's how serious he is. And he's not worried about getting recognition. Have you ever heard of a sniper who, like, sniped someone in war and then was, like, stood up? Woo! That was me! No. No, but we have an enemy who, just the same as a sniper, is looking for the moment to attack and slowly, he would all the more rather you not even notice that it was him. We have a shield and it is our faith. Verse 17, taking the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Oh, okay, so now um, I... I I want to make this statement because I've never actually taught on this passage before. And um, we have a world-class biblical translator that goes to this church. Most of you don't know that because he's one of the most humble people you'll ever meet. And, And I chatted with him just to make sure that I'm not heretical in this, okay? So, so take a deep breath when you hear me say this, okay? When we refer to this as the word of God, we cheapen what, the, what, what God intends. He, here's what I mean. You remember uh, John, John, John begins a gospel and he says it this way. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The word was Jesus. In the Proverbs, Hebrew teaching, uh, they would talk about the manifestation of God. 
The manifestation of God. And it was wisdom was the manifestation of God. The words of God's wisdom poured out on creation was in in their mind a sort of physical manifestation of the presence of God. Wherever God's wisdom was, that his presence was, that wherever the words of wisdom, now a lot of times in the Proverbs they would actually describe it as a woman. You remember back in Genesis 1, what it was saying in Genesis 1, that in the beginning, I'm a little nervous. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He spoke. You know, you know, how, you know how he did? He spoke. He, the words of God created all things. By the very word of God, all things were created. And then the New Testament tells us this. You ready to connect some dots? It says in the New Testament, it says that all things were created in him and through him and for him. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. In him, through him, and for him. By the very word. You see, Paul, as he penned these words, he didn't actually even have this book. I mean, he's literally writing this book. You see, What we cheapen is that the word of God, the sword of the spirit is not simply this book. You should be in this book, devour this book, pouring over this book, having notes, so many in this book that it just looks like somebody went crazy writing and put sticky notes and shove things in until your binding begins to break. Every like book person's gonna hate me for this, but till your binding begins to break. I know some people who have have bulletins with notes on them from decades ago in in their Bibles because so poured over the, and you should. But when this is the only way we understand as the word of God, as the sword of the spirit, we cheapen it because you see, every time God speaks, it is our sword against the enemy. When a brother or sister says to you, hey man, I love you, but you're an idiot. I really think that God wants you to know the sort of spirit. It's God speaking through brothers and sisters. We're called to edify one another, to speak songs and spiritual songs, to encourage one another, to spur one another on. That we need one another. That apart from one another, apart from worshiping as a body, apart from encouraging one another and challenging one another and praying with one another and, and walking with one another, that we miss out on the fullness of the armor that God's intended for us. Our sword that's intended to be this like big old beast of a weapon looks like a little stubby dagger. We need one another. Because most often, One another is the conduit through which God speaks to us and confirms and challenges and edifies us. Last thing he says is this. I'm just gonna read it in the Living Bible translation because I love the way the Living Bible has it. It says this, pray all the time. Period. Pray all the time. Ask for God. Anything in line with the Holy Spirit's wishes. <laughs> Listen to the language they use. Plead with him. Remind him of your needs and keep praying 
earnestly pray all the time. The last words before Paul does this kind of admonition and he says, you know, say hi to so-and-so and all this kind of stuff. The last thing that he says to the church that he loves the most, to the, to the, to the family that he, that he sees as sons and daughters loves dearly, the last words he says to him is this. Pray always. I wonder if maybe as we sit here at the beginning of another year, continuing into another decade of unknown and uncertain where we have no control over tomorrow or the future. I wonder, I wonder if Paul was to be here, if the words he would say to you and I is simply this, what we need most is to pray. To pray without ceasing, not just at meals, not just in the evening, not just in the morning, but to pray earnestly and always. Pray constantly. Pour your heart out. Plead with him. I love that. Plead with him. Remind him of his promises and his truth. This last week as I, I was reading through some stuff, I came across Psalm 46, and I, I wanted to end with it because it seemed pretty fitting for the situation we find ourselves in, the season of life we find ourselves in. And, and let me read it to you. It says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear Though the earth should change and shake and the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, we will not fear. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar and kingdoms tottered. But he, he raised his voice and the earth melted in submission to him. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come, Behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease your striving. Know that I am God. Know that I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all of the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. That is our hope. That is our confidence. The Lord of hosts is with us. He is our stronghold.